the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In today's gospel, Jesus explains to his disciples what life will be like when he is no longer personally with them. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go away, the helper will come. The word helper in this passage is a translation of the Greek word paraclete. The King James Version translates this word as comforter. Other translations have rendered paraclete as advocate or counselor. None of these words really capture all of the nuance of the meaning of the word. The word paraclete literally means called to one's side. The idea is that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, then he sent the Holy Spirit to walk alongside us as a baptismal gift to help, comfort, counsel, strengthen, and convict, to draw us into a deeper experience of God's love. Jesus explains that the Holy Spirit will have a different relationship with the world in general. It'll be a relationship of confrontation. The Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. There are many things wrong with the world, but the Holy Spirit isn't sent to fix the world's various problems. The world's problems are rooted in the world's separation from God. Thus, the Spirit's ministry is to convict the world of sin and to lead the world into repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and so reconcile the world to God. The theme of confrontation and conviction informs the ministry of the church. <clears throat> the church, filled with the Holy Spirit, participates in the Holy Spirit's ministry of conviction. And we can understand how we are called to convict the world by looking at two errors in the way we might understand this. First, in attempting to convict the world of sin, we might adopt an entirely contrary attitude towards the world. We might become unconcerned with real needs and real pain and see our message only as proclaiming the verbal message of repentance and faith kind of a perpetual posture of John the Baptist. <clears throat> the second error is to avoid the confrontation with the world altogether. We might view the ministry of the church merely as working to make the world a better place. And this error replaces the gospel of repentance with human efforts to save the world. And this error stems from the chief modern heresy, which is to deny that humanity apart from Christ is separated from God and stuck in sin. This in turn denies the central gospel truth that we can only be healed of our separation through Christ. The church is not called to be completely contrary or completely accommodating to the world. The balance is struck when we realize that we are, as the body of Christ, the presence of Christ in the world. 
We are called to confront the world with the presence of Christ precisely by doing good works in the world in his name. This means being concerned with human needs, just as Jesus was. However, we are called to do good in the world without needing any particular result in the world. We are not trying to fix the world. The biblical word for this ministry is witness. And the word witness picks up the courtroom language implicit in the Holy Spirit's ministry of conviction. The Holy Spirit brings God's case against the world. We are witnesses for God. Doing good works in Jesus' name testifies to the enduring presence of the righteous and risen Christ. Holy behavior confronts the world the way the sacrifice of Abel confronted the disbelief of his brother Cain. We do good works because we are the body of Christ. For the same reason God made the world in the beginning and said, it is good. It is God's nature to do good. And it is our nature in Christ to be like God. The goal of our good works is not to make the world a better place, though the world will be undoubtedly a better place because of the works. The goal of our good works is to be faithful witnesses for Christ, to respond to the evil of the world with good, the way our Lord responded to the sin of the world with the cross. It is also our vocation to proclaim the verbal message of the gospel, to tell the world Jesus is Lord, Lord of the whole world, and people are called now to repent and believe in him. However, people are skeptical about the verbal message because of the misbehavior of so many of the messengers. Thus, our witness of faithful and loving behavior must precede our verbal message. Nonetheless, we must not be afraid to speak the truth in love. We make God's case against the world both by the witness of our behavior and by the witness of our verbal testimony. The Spirit convicts the world, but the Spirit guides the church. As Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. The Spirit leads us into truth in two ways. First, the Spirit led the church, the early church in particular, into a right understanding of God. The church excuse me, the Spirit inspired the church to write the New Testament, and then the Spirit inspired the church to select which of the ancient documents were inspired. The Spirit led the church to compose the Nicene Creed as the authoritative summary of biblical doctrine. The Spirit leads the church to oppose all errors that are contrary to the scriptures, the creeds, and as Jude says, the faith once delivered to the saints. Second, the Spirit leads us into a deeper relationship with God. There is a distinction between theological truth and relational truth. 
the prophets frequently complain that Israel knew about God, but didn't know God. As God said through Jeremiah, those who handle the law did not know me. For example, a resume or a curriculum vita will tell us about a person's family, residence, education, talents, and interests. These facts distinguish between, say, Joan Smith, who lives on a certain street in Newport Beach, and Joan Smith, who lives on a certain street in Corona. However, knowing biographical details is not the same as knowing a person. Deep knowledge requires a series of conversations, of interactions in a relationship over time. When Jesus tells the disciples that the Spirit will lead them into all truth, he means that the Spirit will lead his followers into a deeper knowledge of God. And this is not merely an intellectual knowledge, but it is an experiential knowing of God. The Spirit leads us to see God more clearly and to see ourselves more clearly in the light of God's presence. This is the fruit of prayer over time. And it goes beyond our mere memorizing of the creed. Here we can see why words like helper or comforter are not adequate translations of the word paraclete. The experience of God's presence, for example, is not always comfortable. If we have spoken a malicious word or acted with an unworthy motive, the Holy Spirit will bring this to mind in our prayer. This will make us uncomfortable. It will be good, but uncomfortable. Conviction will lead us to confession and to a new and renewed experience of God's love and grace. We will see both God and ourselves more clearly. We will be led into greater truth. The world resists the convicting message of the Holy Spirit, but we who have the Spirit embrace the convicting message of the Spirit. Thus the world stands outside of a saving knowledge of God, but we are growing into a greater knowledge of God and of ourselves and of each other through the Spirit. This leads us to the exhortation that St. James gives us in our epistle today. Since we are being led into all truth by the Spirit, we must keep our hearts open to receive that truth. We must not resist and rebel against the truth like the world does. As St. James writes, my beloved brethren, let every person be swift to hear slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.